This message was recorded live at Life Church Lancashire, a contemporary Christian church in the north of England. Learn more at lifelanks.org. Good morning. I want you to imagine that you've been dropped off naked and alone, at least 100 miles from any civilization, somewhere in the temperate region of this planet. How long do you think you would survive? Some of you are thinking, no problem, I've seen Bear Grylls on TV at least once. But most of us aren't good by ourselves. We need community. We need society to to survive and to thrive. But the problem is, once we get into community, once we get into society, we then have a different challenge. We have the challenge of other people. We have the challenge of community. We have the challenge of organizing ourselves. We have the challenge of doing life together. And that has been a problem for a long time. And this is something that is so important for every single one of us, for every person listening to this message, how we think and act as individuals and how that impacts on the community that we live in. Because that community then impacts back on our lives as individuals and families and as communities. How we live together is so, so important. And this is not a new problem. And for us to think about this problem, I want to take you into the ancient world of Galatia. Now, this may not be something that you're familiar with this morning, but I want you to see, and I hope that I can show you, how what was going on here can be so relevant to the challenges of living together today. And I want you to be able to hear these words that were written to people in this region called Galatia, an area in the center of what is modern-day Turkey, not too far from the capital, Ankara. And I want you to hear what was written to communities in that place in the first century as if it was written to you. And we're going to go on a journey to hear that. But this morning, brothers and sisters, I want you to hear this. You, brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do or you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So I want you to take you into this world, the world that this message came to, the world of Galatia. So I, I need some people to help me. Dan, could you bring like... I don't know, six or eight people. Maybe bring the band. You guys just come all, all up on stage and help me. And if you guys could, could kind of come over here. You can't see me right now. Can anybody see me? If you guys could stand over here, all together, in a group, in a community, cohesive, together. Come and stand right at the front here, Dan. Awesome. And everybody gather closely to Dan. You're a close-knit community. You're in this together. And I want you to imagine this is one of the communities in Galatia. So in this region of Galatia, there were a number of churches. These were early Christian communities, early Jesus movement communities. People realized that this whole following Jesus thing wasn't something they could do by themselves. And they gathered together in households and communities. And they began to form. And right across this region, in large cities and in rural villages, people were getting together and starting to form what we might call today a church, these communities of the way. But what happened within these communities with, that were together, that were, that were united by their faith in Jesus and, and this new thing that God was doing, is there began to be divisions. There began to be factions. So maybe Dan and Ruth and Zach and Haley, could you come over this side? That'd be awesome. And there began to now be a division where we had one group and another group. And these divisions began to occur. And we see this here. So in Galatians chapter 2, let me just show you this one verse. In verse 12, it says this. um, Certain people came from James. Paul's talking about this this, uh, occasion that happened when he was in Antioch with Peter. And, and what happened was Peter used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, it says in the middle of verse 12, he began to draw back and to separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. So you guys are, are going to be that. Now, it says in Ephesians chapter 2, I love this. So in Galatians 2, it says the circumcision group. There's a similar thing going on. In another letter in the New Testament, in Ephesians 2 verse 11, it says this, um, that you uh, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. And when I read this, I thought, those who call themselves the circumcision, I thought, that is a badass title. That it sounds like a metal band. We call ourselves the circumcision. It sounds like a biker gang. Do you know what I mean? So I made a logo for it. So, so Dan, you can hold that. So you guys, you're, you're going to be the circumcision. Anyone want to get a picture of Dan right now? Or? 
So these guys here, they started calling themselves the circumcision. They said, hey, we've got this group, but we're a group within a group. And we're a group that has a different level of, of status within this group. Because we actually are holding on to things from our Jewish heritage, things from the Jewish law. And we, we, we are going to continue to practice things like circumcision, things like the food laws, which meant that the community... When once they were cohesive, now they don't eat together. They separate themselves. And then this group called the circumcision started to particularly speak to the Gentiles, those who didn't grow up as Jews, those who weren't familiar with the law, those who had come into this new thing that God was doing, this Jesus way, this hard-fought freedom. And they were starting to say over to this group, hey, you guys, you need to follow the laws. You need to follow the food laws. You need to become circumcised. You need to, to, to follow the rituals. You, you need to uh, be involved in these religious practices because Jesus was Jewish. This is a Jewish movement. And if you want to be a part of it, you have to join us in these practices. Okay, you guys can all sit down. Give them a round of applause. So what we have is these divisions, these factions, these groups that are breaking off, particularly to try and encourage people who are not Jews to participate in and to um, keep following the certain requirements, these boundary markers of Jewish law that identify Jews as Jews. So this is the whole reason for this letter that we have called Galatians, written to those in Galatia. The whole reason for the letter is Paul says, hang on a minute, Jesus gave everything to win freedom for us. So we don't have to be bound by these sorts of practices and rituals and laws, but we can actually enjoy true freedom, and the way we live together in community can work without these kind of laws. And he spends the letter explaining that. He gets mad with it. He gets angry. He says, these guys, you know, who are circumcising people, I hope they go the whole way and emasculate themselves. He literally goes this far and says, well, hope it works out because, you know, wouldn't want you to castrate somebody. Like, in other words, he's ticked off. He's angry. He's mad because this hard, hard-won freedom is coming under attack. Because, and if you actually think about what Paul's saying, Paul's a Jew. Paul knows the law. Castrated males weren't allowed into the temple. So Paul's saying you're doing something to try and make yourself ready for God, to try, to try and make yourself the people of God. But, you know, this is not going to end well. Because, you know, you might be trying to do that to make yourself good enough for God, what Jesus has already done. And you might end up taking yourself out of it all together. So Paul spends the whole of Galatians arguing and saying, hey, we don't need to do this. Let's not force those who are not Jews to live as if they are Jews. That's not what Jesus was trying to do. And his concern is the fact that this is breaking community. That's why he says he particularly attacked Peter, because when other people came along, Peter stopped eating together with certain people. We all know 
that meals together, eating together, is such a, a hallmark of a community. It's something that we do with friends, that we do with family. It's something that brings people together. And Paul is concerned to preserve and maintain that unity. And that's why in the passage that we talked about earlier, we hear him talking about this sinful behavior. And we might think, here we go again. Religion with its morality, with its rules, with its list of things that we shouldn't do. But if you look at the list that Paul actually gives in Galatians 5, 19 to 21, he is talking about behavior that breaks relationships. Listen to it again in that context. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, it's a breaking of relationship. Impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft. And watch this middle section, the longest section. It's all to do with factions and the breaking of relationship. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy. And he carries on, drunkenness, orgies and the like. We won't inherit the kingdom of God. This community that we're supposed to be, which prefigures what God is doing in the world, which is a little microcosm of what God wants to do with the whole cosmos, we're not going to be that. We're not going to enjoy that. We're not going to be able to do that if we're living in this way, divided, breaking relationships. And that's why this whole section that we read starts with his charge, that brothers and sisters, you were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. You see, there's a proper use and an improper use of almost anything. I mean, what is a van for? What is the purpose of a van? The purpose of a van is to transport things, is to move goods. But this year, we've seen in New York and Barcelona and London, people use vans to kill people. That is not the proper use. That is not the intended use. That's not the designed use. And Paul's saying, look, we have this hard-won freedom. What are you going to do? Go and do some sinning. Go and break relationships. Go and hurt people. Go Go and break apart your community. Go and damage society. That would be a dumb thing to do. That would be a dumb use of freedom. So so before we had this straitjacket of what you could do on what day and where you could stand and where you could go and what you had to say and what you could do and, and, and people were excluded, foreigners were excluded, women were excluded, slaves were excluded, people with disabilities were excluded. We have something new. It's called freedom. It's called one new humanity. That this is a good thing. This is something that is progress. But are we going to use that to indulge in behavior that breaks relationships? It's like it says elsewhere in the New Testament. Yeah, everything's permissible. But not everything's beneficial. Be wise. And this is Paul's concern. You see, his grace option, his spirit option, his freedom option is not the easy option. Oh, now we don't have to do all the religious stuff, all the, all the laws, all the rituals, all that hassle. The, this freedom stuff, it count, sounds kind of easy. It sounds kind of lightweight. But Paul's discipleship is pretty demanding. I mean, look at this guy's life. If you hang out with Paul, you're probably going to end up in a shipwreck. You're probably going to end up beat up. You're probably going to end up chased by a mob. You're probably going to end up arrested and in prison. You might end up with a snake biting you. It's a 
not the easy option. You know, Paul says it at the end of this, you know, they may brand slaves, but I've got on my body the marks of Jesus. In other words, look at every beating. This is a badge of honor that I belong to Christ. This is Paul's discipleship. Paul's discipleship is I work two jobs because I don't want anyone to question my integrity. So I give everything to the planting and establishing of churches and spreading the message of Jesus and functioning as an apostle. And I work another job to make the money to be able to do it because I don't want even a question of my integrity. This is Paul's discipleship. So it's, it's not the easy option, although it is still the free option. In fact, Paul says in the rest of this verse, verse that's on screen, you see, in rather serve one another humbly in love. The actual word is doulos. It means slave. It doesn't mean serve. It literally is something like this. Through love, be slaves to one another. This is Paul's discipleship. But Paul's whole message is about freedom. So he talks about freedom and slavery in the same verse. It's paradoxical, yes. But of course, slavery here is it's metaphorical. It's saying something about the shape of our, of our life. That's what real community is. That's, that's what it's like to be a parent, right? That's what it's like to be a faithful friend. It, it's through love, be slaves to one another. Serve one another in love. So Paul's way is a way not of law, but a way of walking by the Spirit. In verse 16, I say walk by the Spirit. And in verse 25, keep in step with the Spirit. This is the key thing for Paul. It's not that we should try just by human effort to be kind of a little bit nicer, but it's this way of walking with the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit. This is what produces the real change in us. It's, it's a way of life. That's what he's trying to say. It, it's a way of life. It's, it's a way of living. It, it's every day. It's our attitude. It's our orientation. This is what we're doing. We're walking with God. We're following God's lead. We're, we're going we're gonna, to uh, live out God's way. We're going to give our allegiance to Christ. We're going to put our faith in, our loyalty to, our trust in Jesus. In chapter 2, verse 16, he says this, know that a person is not justified by observing the law, justified, made in the right with God, reconciled to God, but by faith in Jesus Christ. This is Paul's key point. That it is our loyalty to, our trust in, our reliance on, our confidence in Jesus. There's actually a great note in my Bible. It might be at the bottom of yours, a little translation note, where it says faith in Christ or in the note, faith in the faithfulness of Christ. I think that's the better translation. Faith in the faithfulness of Christ. In other words, we trust in a God who is faithful demonstrated in Jesus because Christ was faithful all the way to the end when he had every opportunity to turn away from the difficulty of his mission he continued in faithfulness and we know that sometimes we're unfaithful so this whole thing of having faith you know can be difficult when it's explained to a lot of people because they think well some days I feel like I've got a lot of faith some days I feel like I don't really have any well, if it's reliant on that, 
we're in trouble because a lot of it's going to be based on, you know, what film you watched the night before and whether, you know, the milk was sour on your cornflakes. Our faith isn't in something so shaky. We've got to be careful that we don't make faith itself into a work, into a human effort. We miss what it's all about. Our faith, our trust, is in the faithfulness of Christ, which has already been demonstrated conclusively. It's in the faithfulness of God. We have to trust God. That is the key. Not trust in our own faith, but place our trust in God's faithfulness. And what happens when we do that, Paul says, is it produces fruit. It produces something. And that's what he's saying in verse 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit, what God works in our lives, is like love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Paul's not giving us rules for self-improvement. He explains this in verse... He's not saying, come on, be, be, come on, be a bit more loving, be a bit more joyful, come on, let's all G you up a little bit, let's give it a go. He says in chapter 3, you foolish Galatians, we see his passion again. I don't know if we have this on screen, but let me read it to you. Who has bewitched you before your very eyes? Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I'd like to learn one thing from you. Are you ready? One thing. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you've heard? Are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit that you're now trying to finish by human effort? Be such a shame after everything we've said this year about the transformation that God wants to work in our lives that we would walk away from this series thinking about human effort. Oh, I've got to try and be a bit more patient this week. Because that's not what Paul's saying. He's saying it's fruit. It happens in communities that are loyal to Jesus. This stuff happens. And people look around and they kind of notice like amazing patience. Wow, look at the goodness. Whoa, self-control. It happens. We notice it. It's fruit. And this fruit is resultant. This fruit we're calling in this series that we're bringing to a close today, the evidence of transformation. How do you know, after everything we've heard this year, about the change that God wants to work in our lives, how we can participate with God to see our lives change? How do you know that this is a change for the better and not the worse? Well, this is the evidence. Are you growing in love and joy? And peace, the fruit of the Spirit. Are you growing in it? Well, if you're growing in it, then it is a God-shaped, God-wrought transformation. This fruit is evidence that this thing is happening. It's happening amongst our community. And Paul's passion, just like the passion of, of every leader, is to see these people be transformed. In chapter 4, verse 19, he says that my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Now, it's pretty arrogant for a man to talk about the pains of childbirth. But can't we see that there is an intensity to his desire? 
that what he wants to see, he wants to see Christ formed in you, transformed, so that our form becomes that of Christ. That's what we want. We want to see people becoming like Jesus, the quintessential human. That is what we want. Every leader in this house is in the pains of childbirth to see Christ formed in you. The Spirit makes this kind of transformation. It's a transformation that Paul knew all about. He kind of alludes to it in chapter 1, verse 23, when he says here that they only heard the report, the man, he's talking about himself, who formerly persecuted us, is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. The one who is out to destroy the Jesus movement violently by killing and threatening and rounding up is now preaching for it. It's a complete transformation. You see, God doesn't want to make you into a slightly nicer Briton, a bit better person. But God wants to work a transformation in you so you become as Christ. That is your destiny. That is what God is trying to do. That is why all year we've talked about, Christian, uh, about transformation because Christianity is all about change. And these fruit, these fruit that Paul talks about, the fruit of the Spirit are community-building virtues, set in contrast with behavior that breaks relationship. Look at these again and see how they build community. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And you might have been here for the last eight weeks. You've got an amazing attendance record. And you, you've listened to the podcast and you've heard all these sermons. But I, I didn't want us to have nine weeks on Galatians without really underlining the key message of what Galatians is all about. I wanted us all to have a grasp of that and see what Paul is trying to do to build community whilst others are breaking it and destroying it. Because there's no law against these kind of qualities. You know, I think Paul says this kind of ironically or maybe sarcastically like, well, you guys think the law is the way to, to organize things and, and to get people to behave and the way to set up community. But let me ask you, if people are living with these nine qualities in their life, what law is there against that? There's no need for laws when people are completely loving when a community is full of joy, when there's peace between people, when people show patience and kindness and they show these qualities, show me a law against that. I love it. And that is a community that we want to see. And so we're going to talk just in our last few minutes about this final quality, this final virtue that we haven't yet talked about, and that is the quality of faithfulness. Now, we were going to talk about this two weeks ago. What happened to the message on faithfulness? The preacher didn't turn up. He who last laughs thinks slowest. And we're going to talk about faithfulness in this, in this final few minutes because this quality of faith, it's the word faith here, the same word we talked about, faith in Christ, but it's faith in the passive. So we call it faithfulness. It's not the faith in Christ, but it's the quality. Faithfulness means being honest, reliable, loyal, 
trustworthy, a lifestyle of sustained, obedient trustworthiness and loyalty. And faithfulness is a countercultural virtue. Faithfulness is not something that is celebrated often in our society. Why? Because it's not exciting. There's no instant gratification. It doesn't give you a short-term boost in status. It's just consistency. The thing about faithfulness is it's not Instagrammable. This is the most annoying adjective of the year, Instagrammable. And it means something more than photogenic. It it means photogenic, but also um, allowing you to have a boost in status by being associated with it. And people are beginning to use it. These are Instagrammable kind of pictures. We see here there's an article about a travel article about the most Instagrammable locations. In this next slide, there's a, a screenshot of a museum's website that are trying to entice people to come to their museum by saying there are Instagrammable moments. You know, don't engage with the exhibits. Just go and get the pictures that will give you a short-term boost in status. Here's the quick way to do it. We'll tell you on our website. Uh, there's a, another screenshot about... Um, the most Instagrammable locations in London. And there's a line on this that says, a recent study has gone as far as to suggest that millennials, that's people kind of under 30-ish, pick holiday destinations based on Instagram potential. (laughs) They see faithfulness is countercultural. It's not exciting. That's why when we talk about in a marriage, we talk about being unfaithful. Well, that's because beforehand it seems exciting. Seems like it's going to give you a short-term boost. Seems like it's going to give you short-term gratification. We call it unfaithful. And faithfulness is countercultural. But Paul goes on in Galatians, and in the final chapter says this in chapter 6, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. People reap what they sow. Those who sow to please the sinful nature from their nature, that nature will reap destruction. And those who sow to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life, dezoe. In other words, it's this sort of life which is so powerful and pulsating that death can't stop it. It smashes through death. It's that kind of life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. You see, you can't build anything significant in the short term. Anybody who does in any walk of life is building on someone else's foundation. They're building on the work someone else has already done, on the seed somebody's sown, on the ground somebody's already broke, on the pioneering that another did. But anything significant that we really want to contribute to our society, to humanity, any significant church or ministry, any significant business or community movement can't be built in the short term, only through consistent faithfulness. See, faithfulness isn't just showing up, but showing up full of faith. That's literally what it means. It's not just being a warm body. You know, in church, you know, we're, we're nice, aren't we? And people, t- you know, and that person is just always there. They just always turn up. And they don't provide anything else. And people say, well, they're faithful. Listen, something that's there all the time and is not helpful, is not faithful, it's annoying. It's like that thing 
that furniture in the hallway you keep bumping into and your partner promised to take it to the tip, but it's been two months now and you keep stubbing your toe on it. It's always there. It's in the way. It's annoying. Listen, we love and value everybody and challenge everybody too to come up to a new level to begin to be a faithful person. Because being faithful isn't just turning up. It's showing up full of faith. See, if you're on a team, you don't just show up. You show up early with, with the attitude of what's going to happen today. I've been praying for today. I'm excited for today. I've got a word for today. I've got a passion for today. I, I, I'm going to be a, a great presence among this team. I'm going to cheer everybody up. I'm going to have a smile on my face. I'm prepared. I'm bringing my best because I'm not just showing up. I'm showing up full of faith in an expectation of what God's going to do. I want to say in your marriage, keep showing up. And keep showing up full of faith. You might be going through challenges at the moment. But listen, keep showing up. Show up day after day. It's hard work sometimes. But listen, if you can just show up today full of faith, a confident expectation in God and a trust in Him that today things can change. Things can come through. Things can turn around. Just do it today. And then when you get up tomorrow, work on doing it tomorrow. Keep showing up with your kids. Listen, they might be playing up at the moment, but they will see your consistency and your faithfulness. They will notice that. They will remember that. They will mark that. They're looking to you. Keep showing up. Keep showing up at work. Keep being the one who's full of faith. Listen, that doesn't mean you walk into work saying, God's really spoke to me. Today's going to be an awesome day in Jesus' name. Who's with me again? I get a hallelujah. Don't do that. Do not do that. But but you can still show up full of faith. You can still show up with an expectation of how things are going to be good, how things are going to improve, how things are going to turn around today, how God is with you, how he has favor on you, how things can change. Being faithful. You see, motivation is the test case. Let me show you this. Motivation demonstrates that faithfulness comes indeed from what Paul says, living by the Spirit, allegiance to Jesus. Because we all know people who've been around for a little while. We all know people who've been there for a little while, but then they checked out. Then they gave up. Then they stepped back. Because the reason they were there wasn't because of their allegiance to Jesus. Their reason was was a convenient relationship. It was a task they enjoyed doing. It gave them some status. It gave them a sense of importance. It gave them a sense of worth. It gave them something to do. And then when things got tough, they jumped out. Why? Because of their motivation. You see, when your motivation is, comes from your allegiance to Jesus, you, you, you can stand firm and let nothing move you. If you have another motivation, you become weary and give up. But the truth is this, faithfulness produces faithfulness. That's what Paul's saying. In other words, faithfulness to Christ, the the only one who's truly faithful, produces the quality of faithfulness, reliability, trustworthiness, loyalty in us that we become faithful people in our relationships. Faithfulness produces faithfulness. Faithfulness to Christ produces the quality in us that we can be faithful people to the other people around us. 
And listen, whatever's happened in your past, whatever challenges you've had, whatever mistakes you've had, today can be the day where you say, no, I've got a conviction within my heart that I'm going to be faithful to Jesus and believe that for the rest of my life, people can trust me. People can rely on me. I'm going to rebuild that reputation. I'm going to rebuild those relationships at work. I'm going to turn things around in my family and people will begin to trust me again. Things will be able to grow around me again because people will see that I am a faithful person. Maybe the band can come and join me just as we're finishing. You see, faithfulness is a demonstration of reliability that positions you for greater opportunity. Who do people look to promote? The faithful. You know, sometimes we're so quick to despise the small thing, but God rejoices to see the work begin. And I just think if we're faithful in a small thing, we demonstrate a reliability that allows people to say, I can trust that person. I can rely on that person. And you know, it's the Matthew 25 principle. Whoever has, more will be given. Because when we show our faithfulness in one thing, it's amazing how in demand we can become professionally, relationally, in community because of our faithfulness. Faithful people become a rock of stability around which others can gather. Faithful people become a rock of stability around which others can gather. What happens when everything goes wrong? Whose house do you go to? Whose number do you call? You look for that faithful person. And you know, every one of us can do this. We might not all be educated. We might not all be rich and wealthy. We might not all be good looking. I don't know if I'm any of them, but I know I can be faithful. I know I can be faithful because, listen, faithful people become a rock of stability around which others can gather. You might not think you're that spectacular. You're not a superstar, but it's always your kettle that's on. It's always your house people come to. It's always your number people call because they know they can trust you. They know they can rely on you. And what happens with faithful people is communities start to build. The only reason we're in the room today is because for generations of faithful people. It's not those who just attended. not those who just came. Those who just said the piece. It's every one of you and every one of those no longer here who, when they were here, in their day, in their generation, they were faithful. They were faithful. And it makes things happen because faithful people become that rock of stability around which others can gather. And finally, faithfulness builds the key element of trust in a relationship. Maybe we could all stand. Faithfulness builds a key element of trust in a relationship. Where did we start this morning? We started with relationships. We don't do well alone. Relationships are the key in human history that have allowed our species not only to survive, but then to thrive. It's all because of relationships. And faithfulness is a key item because without that, where is the trust? See, a child whose parents are there one day and gone the next, who treat them one way one day and another way the next, will never build that bond that they need with their mother and father. But we have to be there consistently, day in, day out, week in, week out, to demonstrate faithfulness. 
So the kid knows, even before they can speak, I can trust you. And when I'm not sure what's going on, I look for you because I can trust you. And faithfulness builds that. It builds a key element of trust in a relationship. Without trust, relationships are so weak, they can't carry anything. But a relationship with a deep trust can carry huge burdens, huge projects, huge missions. And I want to build those sorts of relationships. I want to be involved in those sorts of things, that we can be involved in what God is doing in the world. So I want us to just sing a little bit of this song, and then I'm going to come back and pray. But I want us to focus on the faithfulness of God, because that's what inspires us, and that's what we are faithful to. And as we reflect on that, and as we're faithful to this message, this gospel of freedom, life and change that Jesus brings, it starts to change us and produce something in us. Discover more about us at lifelanks.org and stay inspired by subscribing to the podcast via iTunes. Thanks for listening.